Welcome to CCC Talks, empowering IT and business professionals in their digital transformation journey. Find all the latest tips, tricks, and strategies at our blog and resource center at cloudcredential.org. And now our host, CCC Managing Director, Mark O'Loughlin. Hello and welcome to another edition of CCC Talks with Mark O'Loughlin and the Cloud Credential Council. Now today we are joined by Aid McCormick, who is founder of the Disruption Readiness Institute and is a C-level digital advisor, international keynote speaker and a thought leader. And Aid, in your own words, you're helping leaders harness disruption and turn it into opportunity. Fantastic. Now, Aid, thank you for joining us today on CCC Talks. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, thank you for inviting me, Mark. Uh, a lot of what I do is around helping organizations, if you like, make the transition from the industrial era, uh, the operating model we've used for a few hundred years, into uh, a post-industrial model, if you like. Um, the world is becoming unpredictable and unknowable, so we need a, a very different approach. So much of what I do is advisory around that with companies and, in fact, governments as well, uh, but also a bit of keynote speaking and the occasional uh, podcast. And <laughs> dropping into our one, we're, we're grateful to have you uh, today with us, Dave. So we're going to get into a bit more about that change from industrial work model into today's work model a little bit later on i think you've got a book you've got some research on this you've got a phrase for this so we'll drill into that but before we do you know you're advising corporations as you said around the globe on the changing nature of work brought about by this new digital world so from industrial to digital but the first question i'd like to get started with is to actually ask you in your view what does digital first and then digital transformation mean so in, in your world in your view well i think i think if we get this question answered and agreed across the planet the world would be a better place um, <laughs> essentially uh digital when i first started out i used to be a technologist digital and it were one and the same thing yes uh so they are more or less the same thing, but I think some technology marketing companies have tried to sex up IT, if you like. So we hear digital mentioned a lot. We hear about the digital age, which implies that we're moving into an age where there is even more technology or technology is more central to what we do. So many organizations, many leaders get confused and they think that digital transformation is digitalizing their existing business processes. Yeah. Um, and they think, you know, jobs are a good one when, when they've done that. And you might say, well, what's so bad about faster, smarter, cheaper? Well, a faster, smarter, cheaper Titanic at the end of the day is still a Titanic. And even, <laughs> even one optimized to detect icebergs is no match for air travel. Yeah. So it's more profound digital transformation is much more profound than just uh giving your uh, old school business a technology makeover um, it is if you like helping your organ making you enabling your organization to thrive in the digital age so the yes. digital there is more about the era as opposed to the technologies in my I view Oh, absolutely. And I, I I like that phrase, you know, the faster, smarter, even more digitally enabled Titanic is still the Titanic. And we all know what, what happened there. <laughs> I think, as you said, it's, um, you know, if we had a, an agreement around the globe as to what digital and digital transformation is, we'd probably be in a better place. 
because there is that differentiate differentiation of views, isn't there, uh, between different people, different organizations as to what digital actually is? Well, I think one of the big issues, and maybe it's not meant intentionally, but the World Economic Forum has been pushing the notion of Industry 4.0 for quite some time. Yes. And that sort of term encapsulates 3D printing, AI, IoT, and all of those sexy technologies. Um, but basically, that's setting the bar too low because everyone thinks, okay, I just need to embrace some AI. You've got chief executives chief executives saying um, yeah. we need to get some AI. They don't know what they're asking for, but they've heard it might help. And then they get the state-of-the-art AI technologies, and AI only works or is only as good as its data. Yeah. So in most cases, the AI is not drinking from a serene, pristine data lake, but a data yeah. cesspit. And thus, um, the state-of-the-art AI tools are creating, if you like, artificial stupidity. I, I, I love that phrase, artificial stupidity. Um, and to me, it makes perfect sense. As you said, drinking from the cesspool as opposed to the data lake is, is a very motive, but they actually mean quite a lot, I think, in those phrases alone. And I think for our audience to have a think about that, uh, as you said, just adopting AI doesn't mean that you've transformed anything or done anything. You, you've got a digital tool but it's not really doing probably something you really wanted to do or finding some new area of differentiation or transforming how you might do business along the way. But as you said, you bought a fast Titanic, which is very expensive and not going to, 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 to get there. So AI stupidity, that's, that's an interesting concept. Um, one of the courses we have is in AI, and it was designed to help businesses understand what AI is and how they should go about thinking about using AI before diving in and buying AI solutions without knowing what's it going to do, what are we going to try and do with it, what could it do or what could it change for us. I think taking that along to the next stage then comes into the you know the realms of digital transformation. You know, are you using something like an AI or something like that to actually change your business or how your business does business? Isn't that the true nature of transformation using digital tools? How you're going to change something rather than just a business, business as usual with a, an intelligent tool? Yeah, and I, and I may be a bit pedantic here in terms of the difference between change and transformation. You know, uh, two caterpillars might meet on a leaf and have a chat and then they'll meet again in a few months and one will say you've changed you got a bit bigger um <laughs> but they're still caterpillars and then maybe six months time they look at each other and they're butterflies they've now literally transformed yes, yes. so i think what we're looking at here is not simple delta changes on the existing business model it's totally rethinking the business processes and 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 the business model itself so you're you know, your, your listeners are very likely familiar with the triumvirate of people, processes and technology. That, in some respects, is constraining the view of the change that's required or the transformation that's required. And the yeah. process piece should be replaced by uh, operating model or business model, because that's the level in which we need to re-examine this. And coming back to your point about AI, um, I'm not anti-technology i'm just a bit nervous that we are careering headfirst into a technocratic world um when in fact the ironic thing 
is that humans are now more important than ever. Yeah, um, I think that we, we say here as well, the technology is great. Use it for great things. Use it to change. <laughs> Don't just um, use it to update an existing process, perhaps, because, you know, are you getting any value there? There are cases for that, but uh, try and find change. Um, but hey, so we have a lot of this digital transformation, the older phrase digital disruption and almost continual disruption happening. And it's all happening together. <laughs> um, do you think from what you see, is there just too much disruption? I've used those quotes there several. Is there too much disruption going on at the moment? And if there is, how are people meant to deal with all of this uh, uh, happening at the same time? Is it just too much? Yeah. Um not that we you know we don't have control over the extent of the disruption in the market so we can't say enough is enough there is a sort of sentiment going around that oh we're coming out of covid now disruptions done and dusted but the, but the reality is covid is only just taking off its tracksuit yes i mean at the start of this and you know we're familiar with um technological disruption in the form of digital and now biological disruption in the form of COVID-19. Uh, but there's a whole load of other vectors, if you like, micro-environmental vectors that are likely to change the future very drastically. You know, political tensions between the US and China, environmental, yes. the fight for uh, natural resources, cognitive in terms of the fight for talent. Um, the space race is even having a, a bearing on how nations and individuals and companies yes. uh, behave. So there's a whole aggregation of, um, of forces coming together. And we've been able to hold them off for the last 300 years. To some extent, the powers that be during the industrial era managed to cultivate what you might call synthetic certainty. They created the conditions that I would know as a factory owner that I could invest in the factory, knowing that there would be a demand for the goods of sufficient duration to justify the investment in the factory. Yeah. That's yeah. why you needed a steady state world. Well, if you like, Kronos, the mythological god, has decided, or is it, is it Kronos? Chaos, I should say, has decided that uh, mankind has been tinkering in cosmic affairs long enough, and now we're getting full blast <laughs> disruption. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, it's the roller coaster ride is going to continue and it's just going to be more extreme and in many different directions. I think a phrase you said there, steady state. So that was a good analogy with the previous, you know, the industrial revolution type. You said uh, I can invest in resources and factory and production and knowing that there's a steady state coming up in, in by and large. But today, because of the cost of and the time involved in producing, you know, creating a factory and producing and, and everything else, whereas today we're working so fast, uh, just in time is, is you know, um, and I guess it's quicker to scale something up, uh, whether it works or not, uh, and it's quicker to try something now because we have a lot of these tools and everything now baked into di a digital solution of some sort. You can scale a business up tomorrow very, fairly quicker. You could set something up. Um, you're probably not looking for a steady state because then that doesn't help you exploit opportunity. So for these new upstarts, they don't want steady state. They do want disruption to try and figure something out, don't they? So disruption, uh, I think, um, is very good for that entrepreneurial mindset. 
But if you're working in an organization that has steady state processes and then trying to compete with these entrepreneurial mindsets that don't want steady state, that want disruption and chaos, and then your organization is trying to force you into that agile, more chaotic mode, there's going to be a clash, isn't there? There is going to be a clash. And I think the way to look at it is that disruption is creating an unknowable future. And an unknowable future generates new scenarios, whether they be threats or opportunities, at an increasing rate and at an increasingly unrecognizable rate. The mm -hmm. only way to respond to these scenarios is through innovation. And of course, the startups love this. And the established organizations are clinging to their comfort blanket, in many respects, trying to recreate 2019, as we're seeing. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, whether you're an established organization or a startup, you're going to have to treat each day going forward as if it's day one of building a startup. I think that's uh, an amazing mindset to for people to think about. We have to start each day as if it's day one. Indeed. And uh, that can be challenging, I guess. Um, and tell us, I guess, this changing nature of work, in your experience and advising organizations as well, what kind of other areas do you see changes either happening or that they need to change so on one hand you might say um you know you might be asked where do we need to change or specifically where are organizations finding that they need to change quickly and is that an easy thing for them to spot well i guess if you follow the um digitalization as the kind of imperative then the name of the game is driving people out of the organization as fast as you can and 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 automating the processes Yes. So in many respects, people who are working for industrial era organizations, whether there's an actual conveyor belt going through the building or whether, the, whether there's data on the conveyor belt, like many new service businesses, um, the, the, reali the reality is, is that you know, automation is quite natural. And if you don't do it, your competitors in other parts of the world will, yeah. and you'll be out of business. So that's happening. We're seeing the automation of blue collar work. But we're now seeing the blue collarization of white collar work. So none of us are safe. So you then have to ask yourself, well, what is the definition of talent in this future of work? Yes. Well, the definition of talent in this future of work is being able to do something that an algo or a robot cannot do. Essentially, you need to be able to be creative. You need to be able to be innovative. So this is the new definition of talent. And if you want to stay in the game as a, an individual, you need to move from that kind of sleepworking process handle turning, whether that's actually on a factory floor or living in a spreadsheet, to being genuinely innovative. The good news is that we are naturally innovative. The bad news is that somebody turned off that gene about 200 years ago, and now most of us barely <laughs> stretch ourselves mentally. We got someone turned off the gene 200 years ago. We need to switch that back on. Um, delving in a bit more on that, because that is that is quite uh, interesting. Um, as you said, the nature of work is changing. The blue collar, white collar is, is changing absolutely. Um, and even when we automate, so as you said, as we automate more now into the office, um, I think, you know, in one hand, it's in danger of encroaching on people's jobs and livelihoods. But isn't there also a case that automation can only do what's predictable? And then the creative mind is able to deal with the things the automation can't do. So that's a kind of moving up the value chain, if you would. 
uh, again, it's like in the factory, you're, you're replacing workers with machines, but you need people to make the machines, program the machines, run the machines, run everything else, run the logistics around all of that. So are we in danger of not looking at this as an opportunity to move into a higher value role within the organization by getting a bit creative as well or learning a bit more, stretching ourselves? Is that the opportunity for us? I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's humans and technology. But for humans, it's not a straightforward, I'll just continue what I'm doing, but do it a bit faster or, or, or do a little bit of error checking on the technology. We've got to really wake up and reactivate our creative capacity. You know, we need to bring to bear our humanity because technology cannot replicate that. Yes. Um, yes. So we have the option of a human and technology future, but the default is technology. You know, if you if you if many, many millions of people today are unaware of this unemployment tsunami that's coming their way. Um, the way to deal with this is through education, um, developing the traits, if you like, to be able to learn fast, to be resilient, to be more commercial in your thinking, to particularly as we enter the gig economy, to think of yourself as a me PLC. So what's my brand? What's my value proposition? What's my, uh, you know, where's my network? Where am I going to get my next piece of work from? The beauty of this is once you get into this, and I've been into this now for about 25 years, um, it's you, you wake up in the morning and it's, uh, well, I, I, I eat what I kill. I eat what I, you know, forage. And, it, and you get used to that form of existence. Yes. Yes. Um, many people have taken for granted the paternalistic, uh, elements of working for a large organization but even those large organizations are under stress and are putting people good people out in the car park with their belongings because they themselves the big organizations can't cope with this unprecedented level of disruption isn't that and they can't some of them can't cope because again they have entrepreneurial upstarts encroaching on their business uh, they're too entrenched in the ways of working that they find it difficult to change and everything in between. And then uh, even we saw with the start of COVID, a lot of, let's say, large global organizations laying off staff as well. And it's unlikely they'll return to the levels they were in beforehand. But now they have another challenge getting back into the workplace with uh, the advent of we will get some AI. Whether that works or not, they're almost being replaced by AI or ML or uh, you know certain digital services like this, which some organizations will be successful with, some organizations won't be at the end of the day. I think that's interesting. And um, so that's a fundamental change then for individual employees to be thinking about how they fit in this new world because of the challenges on the career model. I think the career model has been pulled apart over the last 30 years anyway, uh, where we see, as you said, moving into more the gig economy. We know that you don't go into the bank for 40 years anymore. You don't go into the pharma for 40 years. Uh, people over the last 20, 30 years are having, you know, 10, 15 jobs by the time they meet, meet middle age, and that's the way it is. Um, and I think that's only going to increase post um COVID, but also with all these technologies coming out. So it's one to think about, as you said, me, PLC. But um, do you think the employers get this or see this or in any way 
are looking at helping their staff think that way or is, is that not in their interest? Um, I don't think in general that industrial era organisations get talent. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, in many respects, HR is really just an extension of procurement. They need cogs for the machine, go and get the cogs. Uh, they, they produce these things called cog specs or job specs. And it doesn't matter who fills it. As long as they can do the job, get them in and, get, and keep the machine running. Yeah. And, and you know an, an organization is industrial era in its thinking uh, if it doesn't have talent representation in the senior leadership team. Yes. So that's, that's the giveaway. Um, now, some organizations are realizing that, hang on, the power axis is shifting from the employer to the employee. You know, we had the natural disruption of COVID. Now we're having the unnatural disruption of come in to work now. Uh, you know, you've, you've had a year and a half to settle at home and start being productive. Let's yeah. throw that in the air and get back in the office. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the office. And some people want the social aspects yeah. and so on. But some people don't. Some people are doing their best work at home. And in some respects, um, the organizations, it, it's like a boss play. I'm letting you know who's boss because you're now coming back in here. And I don't care if you have to wade through traffic twice a day you're coming back in. And a lot of people are thinking, well, actually, I met my family properly for the first time in the last year and a half. I quite like them. And yeah. <laughs> I want to spend more time with them. So I'll take a 10k pay cut or a 100 grand pay cut, because I'm actually now looking at quality of life. And what yeah. this means fundamentally, is that the power axis is shifting from the employer to the employee. And big organizations or any organizations that matter cannot simply throw money at their talent problem. Yeah, I think that is the big change at the moment. And especially with people having that year and a half and wondering or actually saying to themselves, I, I think I could do this more often. I think I could do this myself or I think I'll go find the organization that allows me to work at home because uh, I, it doesn't matter. The office at home, I am as productive or even more productive. Um, and then we know there's impact there for organizations who make it down on real estate, uh, size of buildings and things like this. There's a big knock-on effect there, you know. Um, so this is all leading in. You talk a lot about the industrial age and now this more modern digital age. And, and I think, as you said, there's a phrase used, Industry 4.0. Uh, that's been around for a while. Now, Aid, you've written a book called Biz 4.0, which I think has some overlap here. How about you tell us what you mean by Business 4.0? Is it an extension of Industry 4.0 and what you've been writing about? Okay, well, um, it's much more broader. It's not it's not Industry 4.0, but it but it is it does chime with the 4.0. Yeah. Fundamentally, I am pushing um, that we should operate our organisations as living organ, or, organisms. Yeah. We should be tribal. Because we're wired to be tribal. We were all tribal yeah. up until around 12,000 years ago. Human augmentation or adaptations take around 25,000 years. So we're still yeah. wired to be tribal. So we might as well um, embrace that operating model that has yeah. served us so well in the harshest of conditions. Yes. And instead of simply making a profit and simply making shareholders even richer, we should be focused on growing assets. Because assets uh, give us a buffer against an uncertain future. They allow us to take more risks and they allow us to acquire and retain 
uh, the best people. And my biz, my tribal biz 4.0 model embraces innovation. It takes a new look in respect of risk management. So now risk management is less about elimination, avoidance, and minimization, and more about risk acquisition. So this yeah. takes us into the world of failure, experimentation, and which are the prices you pay for innovation. Yes. So I'm pushing for a, a highly innovative organization that's tribal in nature, that's focused on growing assets. That That's fundamentally it. And these organizations do exist, but I guess um, a, a lot of the time we've gotten lost in business in the search for profit for shareholder value, which is another word for returning profits back to them. And nearly at the expense of the customer and the staff and everything in between. Um, now, it's not to say that making a profit isn't a bad thing. You do need to make profit to exist. You need profit to be sustainable. Uh, otherwise, why are you in business? You know, that's economics 101 at the end of the day. But I guess globally, when you see COVID probably show has shown us that a lot of organizations aren't as, um, you know, they've delivered a lot of shareholder return, but they've hollowed out the organization with skills, people, and even um, assets and uh, financial capital um, in this massive return back to shareholders that they didn't have a lot of reserves that they probably should have had for when something like COVID hits. But equally, when something like the digital age hits, that's a massive impact on a traditional industry-style business. And they need to, as you said, reinvent themselves or at least have a division within there trying to reinvent that business. But that takes money, resources, and other things that on one hand, you can give back to shareholders, or on the other hand, you can plow back into the business and try and do something with it. Is that where we are in business at the moment? Some are doing it and many not. Um, I mean, our our, um, capitalism model is based on, uh, you know, going public and then having to forecast, you know, the next quarter, the next year, which increasingly forecasting and strategic (laughs) planning are are, are a genre of fiction. But that's the reality. Um, It's very much all focusing on the short term uh, and therefore the systemic issues of both private and the public sector are now being pressure tested in a way that they haven't been. And some of these organizations, as you say, do not have the resources um, to cope. So they're they're kind of going back to the shareholders and saying, can we have, can you give us some money? You know, can you give us the profits back, so to speak? Um, So again, it's, I strongly encourage a focus on profit, sorry, on on, uh, assets. Yes. The public stock exchange systems will not change overnight. The generally agreed accounting principles won't change overnight, but they will have to change. They will. I think it's inevitable. Um, And how do organizations move into being this 4.0 business model? What are a few things they should start thinking about or start doing? Well, uh, the first thing is to, like any tribe, is if you don't understand what's going on in your environment you are at risk. So you you want to be able to listen out for the faint snap of a twig or the growl of an animal, because that could spell death for the tribe. (laughs) So so job number one is understanding what's going on in your environment. And this is where things like um, uh, IoT, uh, AI, business analytics give you an understanding, a real-time understanding of what's happening. 
once you understand what's happening, you're now in a better position to make decisions yeah. and, and to act accordingly. So that's job number one. Job number two is not to transform your existing business. By all means, digitalize it till there's not a person in the building. As long as it keeps turning, churning money, fantastic. Yeah. But in parallel, you need to start developing these new business models, these new innovative human-centric uh, business models. So the business of being in business in the digital age is being in the business of creating multiple business models. And what a lot of organizations are getting wrong is that they are trying to transform their existing business model. Mm. All they're doing is upsetting the people and threatening their own cash flows. <laughs> I think that's a great answer. As you said, if you're doing it wrong, you're upsetting people, upsetting your customers, and you will disrupt your cash flows due to the impact yeah. it will have on business. I think that's, that's important. Um, but I, I, I like the phrase multiple business models within your organization. So we're fixated on um, an organization having a set model or different divisions that operate. But within those, we need multiple models and that flexibility now, don't we? And, and that, can be, that can be hard for traditional shareholders to invest in because it's different. It's changed. They don't like change. And as you said, sometimes, unfortunately, our financial markets are driven by very short-term quarter-by-quarter performances rather than looking into what we used to do maybe hundreds of years ago back in the industrial age, looking at the longer-term span. I think yes. we used to do that in business uh, some time ago. I don't know when we stopped, but I think we certainly did. And it's now just for short-term return thinking. And how many big um, brand names have failed over the last number of years due to um, disruption? With Netflix plowing ahead in the US, Blockbuster failed. Mm -hmm. And which one of those was the, the mega brand for years? But the, you know Netflix developed a different business model and uh, use the technologies in a way differently to say Blockbuster ever could. And funny enough, Blockbuster could have bought Netflix in the early days, but saw that as a waste of, as uh, not an opportunity they wanted to, uh, to, to look at. Do you have um, any good examples of digital transformation initiatives that are succeeding in your experience, whether it's the 4.0 model or just in general? Well, just on that Netflix example, you know, Netflix killed Blockbuster, but Netflix still has a Blockbuster business model that makes a lot of money for it in the US. Yeah. So it, it hasn't eschewed the old business model. It's just that we associate it very much with the new business model. Yes. I think the prime example of transformation done well is a company called Hire, uh, a Chinese uh, uh, household appliances goods manufacturer. Yeah. Um, they brought a, a leader in and he symbolically had people bring the appliances out into the car park and give them a good kicking uh, with mallets and, and things to symbolically say we are no longer making substandard products and services. We're going to change the model. Yeah. And the way, the way he changed the model was instead of having these big fiefdoms um, that were all about power, he created a incubator of micro enterprises and each of these little micro enterprises its well-being would totally depend on the well-being of the market it served yes the traditional industrial era model is if you make it if you, if you sell to the market and the market's happy the sales guy does very well but not so much the product development guy or the service guy or whatever yes. this model is all about 
everyone being all in for customer happiness. They're, 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 they don't get a, you know, they, they probably do have a basic wage, but it's interesting to everybody when the market's happy, as it were. Yeah. And, and higher, is, higher is the, if you like, the Harvard Business Review case study in transformation done well. And that is an absolute transformation of thinking. As you said, very symbolic at the start. We'll go down and we'll break this stuff to say we're not going to do substandard. There's a, a mental image of that. But then also creating these teams that are rewarded based on, you know, the market itself. Not You didn't say profit, but if the market's happy, they will gravitate and buy product or buy service or whatever that is if you're servicing yeah. them. And then yeah. everybody gets rewarded for the good of the business rather than individuals. Um, and and sorry, when I say the market, I'm not necessarily meaning the share price because the share price can go any which way, but literally their customer happiness. That's what I meant. Sorry, I beg your pardon. That's where I was going with the customer happiness uh, the, from the market. Sorry, that the customers, yes, and that's probably a better measure. You get that right. I think we're measuring the wrong thing in yeah. this era. If you measure the customer happiness and customers are happy, they're more likely to buy from you and buy again and recommend. And we know that's the easiest way to get new customers is the referral business. It's cheap yes. Yes. at the end of the day. And then you, and we lost this. We had this years ago, uh, maybe 100, 200 years ago, in some organizations where they rewarded the staff in general. Uh, they looked after the staff. They developed the staff. They kept the staff. They pay them in line with inflation, maybe more. They had them, you know, perform more, get more, this kind of thing. And we seem to strip some of that away or even try to replace it with the automation. But the automation doesn't care about any of this. The automation can't really gauge the uh, customer sentiment at the end of the day. It can't look at it and see what do you really think about us. It can ask questions and surveys, which can be gamed, you know? Yeah. So... No, I, um, I guess uh, Forbes have, have reported this quite a lot. They say 70% of, they used to say projects failed. Now they're saying 70% of digital transformations um, are failing. Do you see, you know, this type of thing in, in your work or do you see people are really attempting to do the right thing, but probably it's the lack of understanding that you said earlier on that means that they don't achieve it? Well, when I get called in, one of the biggest challenges I have is explaining to them that digitalization is not the same as digital transformation. Sure. And then I realized that they have created a digitalization project or program that's going to yeah. sit alongside a whole load of other things. Uh, they don't quite get that this is a CEO-led exercise, and therefore it's not just another spinning plate. It yeah. is the primary plate. Um yes. And a lot of organizations struggle with this. And really, they want to get to a conversation about how do we get blockchain into the business model? But they're not really considering the business model itself. Yes. Um, and, and, a, and a lot of the business leaders, regret, re, regrettably, don't really understand what they're talking about when it comes to technology. But they've read it in a magazine or they've heard a colleague mention it at, at a dinner. And they say, oh, um, uh, big data, you know, they say to their CIO, big data is an important thing get us some big data and make sure our data, our big data is bigger than the big data down the road. They don't know what they're talking about. As you said, drinking from, drinking data from the poison lake isn't going to get you anywhere. That's true. We see that quite a lot as well. Again, I think why we develop some of the portfolio that we have is to try and address those. What are we doing? How are we doing it? Why should we be doing it? What's the understanding beforehand? And then go and look at it. And with blockchain, as you said, 
rather than let's get some blockchain in here, it's what could blockchain do for us? Or what problem does blockchain solve, whether we have it today or what future problem our customer could have that blockchain could help with? Let's think about that, as you said, in those little incubators and come back with some ideas, not necessarily the answers, but some ideas to try to trial out and see what it might do, uh, see what it won't do so you can those quickly, see where it potentially could work and you exploit those or try and develop those. And the clever organizations, I think, are using these little incubators uh, with government funding or in D grants, which they wouldn't get as an established organization, but they can do as innovative little micro organizations. So they can be funded to do this cheaply mm-hmm. backed by government on the basis that this could generate more jobs, more income, more revenue, more everything else. So you've got to set it up, I think, that way. Now, I've heard you talk about this a lot. I really wanted to ask you, you know, what does this mean? There's a phrase I've heard you mention a number of times. I think it's great. Um, the phrase, you know, there is no post-COVID, there is no new normal. I think this is very important. Abe, tell us, what do you mean by this? Well, I, th- I think the media would have us believe that um, we're coming out of the storm and we'll be back on an even keel fairly soon. Yes. Well, the, the reality is that disruption and abnormal is going to be the backdrop to our lives going forward. Yes. So, you know... There was a time when our ancestors, our relatives, were on the savannah and every day was about getting through the day alive. Yes. So, so they, they existed in a world of great uncertainty. We managed to tame the world with the industrial era. And again, chaos has decided that is no longer the case. So we're back on the savannah again. It's a digital savannah. It's hyper chaotic because of the technologies <laughs> not least um yeah. so but the the, be- the beauty is is that deep down we're wired for this uh chaos we just need to rekindle uh that part of our our dna so to speak so the changes are going to be seismic governments are going to struggle because they've always sold themselves on the basis that they will make our lives better yeah. they have no more control over that than my desk does um and the sooner they become more honest and more and build trust with the citizens, yeah. we can all move forward together, you know, in, in, into the into the fog, as it were. Yeah. But at the same time, somehow or other, it being more fun, it being more challenging. In, in some respects, we are leaving what you might call the finite game and we're moving into the infinite game. And the name of the infinite game is to just stay in the game. It's just the in the game. That's I think that's really interesting. I think you said there with disruption and abnormal, it is the new normal, isn't it? Um, and especially COVID has shown us this. COVID has been a massive shock. Uh, I don't think there's going back to where it was before. Although, as you said, businesses are lining up saying, come back into work and we'll continue as it was yesterday. I, I think that's the wrong thinking insofar as the world has had a massive shock. And... What we on one of the previous podcasts we had a phrase: um, "Never in the history of man or people have we ever gone back to a previous <laughs> industrial revolution or a previous disruption. We've had to change and move forward." I think yes. that's what you said there as well. And I think interestingly, you said the impact on governments. Governments probably operating in that industry, uh, sorry, that old industrial model, 
have yet to move into this. I, I think they're even slow to the, the market moving into the even thinking about this digital world and this post-COVID world as well and what that means. And as you said, to restore the trust because they haven't really delivered on their promises, their social promises, whatever that is, over the last number of years, but they could do. Uh, but that requires them to change as well, you know, which I think is well, the... You know, I think governments, along with big organizations, big private sector organizations, have to start behaving more entrepreneurial. They have to start behaving yeah. like startups. And yeah. that's, that requires, of course, a different mindset. Um, but it has to happen. There is no other choice, in fact. They're going to have to, yeah. So that phrase, there is no post-COVID, there's no new normal. Think about uh, disruption and abnormal being the state of play and we've got to survive every day i love that we're back in the savannah but it's a digital savannah as you said now age of some really good insights uh, you've shared with us today but do tell us how where because you 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 blog a lot about this you write about this you have a lot of videos where can people learn a bit more about your work and your blog i write quite a bit uh, on my own blog which you'll find at aidmccormack.com or one word and then just click on blog and i've got about 500 or so pieces on there so that's that's a kind of the incubator for my thinking yes great i know you've got some access to videos if they look up yourself anyway they'll find um number of videos which are really really good as well now ed we're coming to the end but a final question to finish with so what is the first thing you'd recommend listeners think about regarding the changing nature of work and what it might mean to them what's the final word on that i think um Education is key, uh, and we must see education as a lifelong activity. Yeah. And most importantly, we, we are entering a post-skills world. We're entering a world where traits are more important than skills. Yes. Because skills are important. Skills get the job done. But when you don't know what the job to be done is in six months, you better recruit for traits. So traits like, again, uh, the ability to learn, uh, the ability uh, to be resilient, to be innovative, to win business, uh, to commercially manage things. These are all characteristics that were not issues for people employed deep in the bowels of large organizations. Increasingly, we're all going to be out on the street and we're all going to be having to kind of create our own brand and, and, and you know, hunt and gather on a daily basis. And I think that's a fantastic finish uh, to leave us with there as well. Think about ourselves, about the education, about that differentiation and what you mentioned earlier, about that creativity that differentiates us now from the robots that are coming in. Um, and think about it from a traits perspective, not necessarily the skills perspective. I think that's great. Hey, McCormack, thank you so much for joining us today on CCC Talks. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining this episode of CCC Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and walk away with a ton of actionable insights. If this is your first time joining us, this is us extending a personal invitation to you to join other IT and business professionals. So please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. If you are struggling in any capacity in your digital transformation journey, contact us. We'd be more than happy to guide you and find you the right certification courses to help you manage the challenges modern businesses are facing. This was CCC Talks. Until next time.